Welcome to the Gazette Fact Checker Podcast. I'm John Steppe, the Gazette's business reporter. I'm Erin Jordan. I cover investigations. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter. I'm Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter. And the debate between in-person instruction and virtual instruction in Iowa schools has been rather contentious over the last month or two. And that's as Governor Kim Reynolds pushes for legislation requiring schools to offer a 100% in-person learning option. Reynolds recently defended her stance in a January 7th virtual news conference with the Iowa Capital Press Association, which is a group of reporters who cover the Iowa State House. So she said, quote, we have so many examples across the state of school districts that have been in session the entire time, and they have done it in a safe and responsible manner. And they have excellent data where they can demonstrate that the spread is not happening in the classroom. She goes on to later say, by and large, the majority is happening outside the classroom. So we kind of have a couple parts there um, to look into. First, looking at the so many examples of districts with 100% in-person instruction. A spokeswoman from the Iowa Department of Education said its latest survey of all school districts, and this was conducted December 9th, so a little more than a month ago, showed 82% of districts were operating in person for five days a week. So that definitely checks the box of, are there so many examples of districts in person? Then looking at the safe and responsible manner. So first looking at the U.S. Center for Disease Control, they have many recommendations for what schools should be doing. They include mask wearing, social distancing, hand hygiene, and consistent cleaning as ways to mitigate the risk of spreading COVID-19 in schools. So then the um, spokesman for the governor's office, specifically regarding the safe and responsible manner, directed us to the weekly voluntary COVID-19 surveys conducted by the Iowa Department of Education. And the survey that had the most participation was back in November when 130 districts reported data. Since then, fewer and fewer have. So looking at the one with the most information, 121 of those 130 indicated students were wearing masks. 123 of the 130 indicated that there was social distancing. And 77 of the 130 had dividers between students. But this still leaves a very large chunk of the pie that did not participate in the survey. And as I mentioned before, the participation in the survey has decreased in subsequent weeks with the most recent one, the one between January 4th and January 10th, only having 7% participating in the survey. So, I mean, you have a limited sample size there, but... I mean, are there so many places that have, yes, you know, at least 121 wear masks, 123 socially distanced? And then looking at Reynolds' statement about how most of the spread is happening outside the classroom, there are local, federal, and international health experts that have said similar things. 
Um, actually, public health officials from Lynn and Johnson counties told the Gazette in December that COVID-19 has not spread significantly through classroom contact. A CDC study released in January 13th indicated that students in areas with in-person instruction have been seeing similar case numbers as areas offering online education exclusively. And then a World Health Organization report from October noted, quote, few outbreaks reported in schools since early 2020, end quote. Although the organization did also say that they are still, quote, learning more as schools reopen, end quote. Now, it's also important to note, though, that while you have those comments from local, federal, and international health experts, that is not the consensus in the scientific community. According to a January 16th Wall Street Journal article, some European experts are reconsidering this notion that the spread of COVID-19 is happening primarily outside classrooms. Anton Flahalt, the director of the University of Geneva's Institute of Global Health, told the Wall Street Journal that there is, quote, much more evidence, end quote, from the second wave of COVID-19 infections that, quote, school children are almost equally, if not more, infected, end quote, as others. Meanwhile, a study from the University of Montreal that's been shared a lot online points to schools as a major area of COVID-19 transmission, according to a January 11th article from the Canadian news outlet Global News. And in the United States, a November 5th article from the Association of American Medical Colleges, which compiled research from medical colleges across the country, said COVID-19 has spread in schools, although it hasn't been a super spreader necessarily. Now, it's also important to note in that article from the Association of American Medical Colleges that schools doing well at preventing COVID-19 from spreading in the classroom have also been operating below capacity. Now, someone could say that if every Iowa school had a 100% in-person option, that may not necessarily remain the case in Iowa. So looking at this claim as a whole, um, the Iowa Department of Education data shows, indeed, hundreds of school districts have been in-person and operating with many of the CDC-recommended procedures. Now, there's that lack of data that makes it unclear whether most districts have been following these precautions. But Reynolds did say so many and not most. So there have been hundreds. Now, looking back at that part about COVID-19 spread among students, is it in the classroom or mostly in the community? Some health experts reaffirm Reynolds' claim about this. Others disagree. So overall, I was thinking, and I'm looking forward to hearing from the team on this grade, I was thinking of B because there's some data behind each part of Reynolds' claim. So you can see how Reynolds came to this conclusion, but there is still plenty of uncertainty in the scientific community about this, especially as more research comes out about COVID. Michaela, I think you should go first as healthcare reporter. <laughs> sure. Um, 
Yeah, I'm glad you included the, you know, all of this research that's really being done, John, because that was kind of my big question. Uh, you know, it's so early in a pandemic, and I feel like I hear this from healthcare experts all the time, is just like, we can make assumptions about what's happening, but until we have the data, until we have the studies to really kind of prove that, uh, we, we really can't say for certain. So it was interesting to me that, you know, we're, we're starting to get that research on this, but um you know, I, I'm glad you included that information about, um, you know, how much is, is, you know, being kind of studied in this realm. But I wonder if it's interesting to include that caveat that, you know, what we do know from, you know, this virus experience in children that more often school age children have like a mild or asymptomatic illness, which makes transmission a lot less likely than if it was in a teacher or another adult staff member in the school, and that may be kind of contributing to this trend that we're seeing. Yeah, that's a great point. I'll make sure to add kind of a note, I mean, pointing that out is that is a key part of this. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you included that, that other point about, you know, the school districts not necessarily participating in the survey. I, you know, that was kind of my big question, not to say that schools in Iowa aren't taking these precautions seriously, but you know, maybe the governor's office knows this anecdotally, but how can they know for certain that these practices are being, you know, implemented in these schools 100% of the time? That was the the thing yeah. I was thinking about reading about this. Yeah. And the thing too, the downside of this data is, I mean, it's based on what school districts are saying. So there's a chance that maybe a school district has been letting something slide, but then when it comes to reporting things to the state, well, yeah, we've definitely been having all of our students wearing masks. So it's certainly not a perfect thing. And I wish that there was I mean, more data um, for us to make these conclusions, but kind of have to work with what we have. Right, right, exactly. But I also at the same time think there's it has to be weight to this data from some of these studies you pointed to that, you know, if, if schools are at half capacity or allowing a certain percentage of students to go online, their rate of transmission of the virus is less. So it seems there is something to say about, you know, there is transmission in schools. While there's not a lot, you know, schools that are having 100% in person are finding less cases among their population. I, I think that's important to in caveat to include too. Okay. I'll well, make sure and, to include that. And just, um, you know, I think there's, uh, some uncertainty maybe among people who aren't in school administration, if a school district offered a 100% online option, like five days a week school, um, that you probably wouldn't have like full capacity, like what school, the you know, the number of kids in the classrooms before COVID, because the school districts, lots of them still have these online options, and a lot of families would just choose 100% online. So even with five days a week, I don't think you're going to have full classrooms. You know, you're not going to have like probably 30 kids in a classroom. That's a great point, too. And that'll vary, too, between each school district. Right. And I think school districts have a decent idea. You know, I just know that there have been surveys that have gone out, I think, in Iowa City and Cedar Rapids asking families, you know, if you had a full-time option, would you choose it? Um, and, and that allows them to get a sense of how many families would not choose it and would instead opt for the 100% online. So, you know, it's not like a total unknown if they were to offer that option, what the numbers would be like. Yeah, um, great point. 
Yeah, I I guess um I I would say the um I would give more weight to that um research by what is it the American Association of Medical Colleges um Yeah. than that Montreal study. I'm very I just don't know about that one because I could not find any links to the actual study. It was like there were these articles about the study but mm-hmm. no hyperlinks to the study which I found to be poor journalism and um just made me concerned you know it's probably a totally legit study but if we don't need that as evidence i would maybe take that part out yeah because i think the uh, two of them kind of say the same thing so the point can be made with the association of american medical colleges yeah and and the nice thing about the um, the associations article is that they actually link to a number of different studies, um, and I think one study actually looked at forty seven states and and sort mm-hmm. of their transmission rate across like a, a pretty relatively recent period of time, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so I, that yeah. might be a little bit more relevant data to some Iowans reading this. Agreed, Marissa. You always have some good points to bring up. What what are you thinking here? I don't know. I mean. Like, my my big question going into this is, like, how can anyone really know where, um, you know, where the virus is being transmitted? Um, I mean, we can look to the universities and, and see that, you know, there's a correlation between, like, when the bars have been opened versus when they've been closed and the rates of spread there. And um, it seems that instructors have generally been able to stay safe. Um Although the classes there are already like largely online anyway, um, but but still, you know, we're not seeing like mass um, instructor absentee issues at the universities, so it it would seem plausible then that schools would, um, you know, also be kind of the same situation. But um, yeah, I don't know because I mean, when we were really seeing our surge in the community, um, I know Lynn County public health officials were. Um, they didn't seem too concerned about spread in schools. Um, but I mean, there was like the Cedar Rapids schools superintendent, um, you know, really just begging people in the community to wear masks and saying that that was the cause of, um, you know, a lot of their teachers and school bus drivers and, you know, you know, other school staff, um, being absent. Um, so, you know, everyone's, it seems that, um, you know, even when schools have been grappling with issues of COVID spread, that people still point to action in the rest of the community. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what to make of all that exactly, but. No, I think that's a really good point, Marissa, because I think a lot of the research is showing that the spread within school districts really depends on the spread in the community. And it makes sense, right? Like if if the rate of positivity in Lynn County is a lot higher than it used to be, then it makes sense that, uh, you know, school staff or teachers or students would be more likely to have the virus and therefore kind of put people within that school district more at risk. I think... um... One way that we do know how um, COVID is being transmitted that is more than just kind of hypothesis is um, are the is the contact tracing that the public health officials are doing. You know, they talk with people and say, "Okay, 
where did you go? Who did you have contact with? And, you know, I know like when we saw that spike, um, you know, that was maybe connected to the bar scene um, in Iowa City, they were finding, you know, the age group of people who were getting it were that age group. A lot of them had been to the bars. You know, I mean, there are some clues provided through actual contact tracing, which is why I do give a significant amount of weight to what the Lynn and Johnson County public health officials told um, our reporter, Grace, in December. Yeah, that was definitely kind of part of my thinking, too, with, I mean, leading off with that one, just because they are really seeing, I mean, a little more anecdotally what's happening um, specifically in eastern Iowa. Yeah, just in regard to the grade, um, I I feel good about the B. I think you've supported um, where you think Reynolds um, was using, you know, reliable information to to come up with those claims but um a b is kind of to to um, acknowledge that there is some potentially contradictory information also from reliable sources yeah and also the possibility of more data coming out one way or another in the future as well yeah i would agree with a b like you said john and and to aaron's point you know we can't really say for certain until scientists really kind of come to that consensus so i'm good with a b just to kind of acknowledge that caveat yeah and i also feel comfortable um uh, with the b because of the um you know we're noting that some of the skepticism is there in the scientific community but um you know for all that we know right now um there are plausible that Reynolds is um you know, correct in her understanding so far. Okay, great. I'd say we're in a consensus there then. So we have a couple claims that we were looking at, but then didn't quite fit the criteria. Um, so um, Michaela and Marissa, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I can get started. So, you know, as the legislative session has kicked off uh, this month, uh, we at the Fact Checker team have been kind of looking at that space as a as a way to try to find some fact checks and, and a way to try to, you know, take a look at what our state lawmakers are talking about. And one thing that I noticed was really kind of um, making a lot of movements over social media and per, over Twitter in particular um, was a comment that a Republican state senator had said about the uh, Black Lives Matter protest that happened at the Capitol earlier this summer. And essentially, he was comparing it to the insurrection that was happening at the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. earlier this month. Um, it was Senator Zach Whiting. Uh, he's a Republican from Spirit Lake. And essentially, he said, you know, state lawmakers were whisked off the floor of the Senate and they were in a safe room and they were essentially counting their bullets in case they they needed to, to get to that point. Um, you know, and a lot of people were pointing to that as uh, inflammatory and maybe even racist. But, you know, taking a look at that statement and our criteria, which me, which uh, states that are the fact checks that we check must be independently verifiable. Uh, it really didn't meet our criteria, unfortunately. So we gave a pass on that. Um, and I know Marissa took a look at a, another statement that was made on the Senate floor, right? Yeah. Um, so in that same session of the Senate, um, I think it was a bit after Senator Whiting's remarks, or, or maybe it was actually a bit before, but um, anyway, the same meeting, um, Senator Smith, a Republican from Davenport, um, he was addressing a speech that 
one of his Democratic colleagues gave on the Senate floor about um, truth. So then he, uh, the Senator Smith, turned the discussion to um, voter suppression and basically kind of walked through the numerous times that um, that he said Democrats on the Senate floor took aim at some of these election reform and voter integrity bills that have been passed. Um, so I think in, you know, back a few years ago when the voter ID law, um, when that was passed, you know, Democrats uh, expressed concerns that it would suppress the vote among minorities and students and, um, you know, certain segments of the population and make it more difficult to vote. And um, the Senator pointed to, um, you know, what he said was record term turnout for midterm elections in 2018. And then um, he talked again in 2020 um, about the record turnout we just had this past election cycle. Um, and he said that this didn't suppress any vote. Um, and we, we just thought it was difficult to prove, um, you know, kind of the correlation between these different election integrity laws that have been passed and, you know, what, what gets people out to the polls, what keeps people from the polls, um, especially considering that it's only been a couple of years with, um, with the first voter ID bill that he mentioned. Um, I don't think that fully took effect until 2019. So, um, you know, we really only have like the 2020 election cycle, um, to look at that. To, to match that against, and, you know, 2020 was just a strange year overall. So, um, yeah, we just didn't feel confident that we could make a sufficient judgment on, on those statements. Which is a great segue into saying that if you see a claim that you would like us to look into, you can reach out to us at factcheckerathegazette.com. Again, factcheckerathegazette.com. We check statements made by Iowa politicians or office holders or a national candidate or office holder about Iowa or in ads that appear in our market. Claims must be independently verifiable. So if you see things are happening, um, especially as the Iowa legislature is in session, we would love to hear from you. And with that, our fact checks are edited by Craig Jamolis. Our podcast for the fact checks is produced by Stephen Colbert. The music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. I'm John Steffi. I'm Aaron Jordan. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm Marissa Payne. And we will fact check you later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast.
Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.